0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom focused, gospel centered, multi ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com.
1: Let's go now to God's Word. So excited to jump into Matthew and um, and the genealogy of, of Christ. So let's listen now. Matthew chapter one, verse
0: one through seventeen. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadad, and Aminadad, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham and Jotham the father of Ahaz and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh and Manasseh the father of Amos and Amos the father of Josiah and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon and after the deportation to Babylon Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud and Abiud the father of Eliakim And Aleichem, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliad. And Eliad, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So, all the generations of Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of God.
1: Praise be to God. Pray with me. Father, thank you that that you went out of your way. To declare one central message. And that is that Jesus came for sinners. Father, though these names mean very little, if anything, to most of us in this room. They meant a lot to the original audience. And they declared a very central, clear message. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would hear that message, we would receive that message, and most importantly, that we would receive Jesus. Convince us, convert us, do what you must to bring our hearts in line with Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over Thanksgiving, um, our family, like so many families, spent a lot of time together. We um, had our... All of our girls together and their husbands, our youngest Amy Catherine and her husband Tom drove in from um, Denver and so we just hung out a lot and um, Tom and Amy Catherine, because they live in Colorado, said we've got to have some good barbecue, can we go to the rendezvous and we just hungry for rendezvous ribs, so on Saturday after uh, Thanksgiving, that's what we did and uh, parking can be a little bit of a challenge in downtown and so I parked and and called Whitney, who was bringing um, Braden and Bennett. And and I told her where she could come, and I would save her a spot right behind me. And so I did that, and and she pulled in, and I came up to the car to help the boys get out. And as soon as the van door opened, Bennett, who will be five on Tuesday, jumps out and just declares, our family is messed up. And my first thought was, hmm, I wonder who Whitney was talking to on the phone on the way over here, uh, or what the conversation was. And her face, she kind of took a breath and looked at me, and then she, then she goes, ah, she said, last night we were doing our Advent devotional and talking about how all the families of the world are messed up. And Bennett declared, well, our family's not messed up. And Whitney and Jed, it probably didn't take them long, uh, convinced Bennett that indeed our family is messed up. And so that's what he wanted to declare to me uh, when he saw me. And it's true. Our family's messed up. And so was yours. There is no perfect father, there's no perfect mother, no perfect grandfather, great-grandfather, child, neighbor, employer, employee, and there's no perfect church. We are jacked up. Like, really? (laughs) And it's interesting to me that when we experience that in his church that our first reaction is to retreat and go find another church. <laughs> it, it's to retreat when we're in relationship with new friends and they hurt us or they say something. Our first reaction is to go find more friends. And, and to... But if the Bible can be clear about anything, it's clear about the reality that we are messed up. And that is what this genealogy clearly specifically and strategically tells us. It told that to the to the original audience the Jews that read this would have immediately understood it. They would have immediately understood that 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 God sent a savior because the world needs saving. That God sent someone who would save his people from their sins because his people were sinners. And it's it's fascinating to me how easily we forget that. And what a surface level view of sin, both our own sin and the sin of those around us that we possess, even as Christians. And what this passage is saying, it's shaking us, saying, understand that, that Jesus came for sinners like you. And he came for a sinner like me. This is the beautiful hope of this passage Because Jesus came to be in relationship with us. That's the beauty of the incarnation. He didn't just send the Bible. He didn't just send a flyer. He sent His Son to be born. His Son to literally take on flesh and to dwell among a people in a specific place and time. And that's so beautiful. There's so many messages to this, and we want to look at a couple today. Because there is hope in the reality that Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. And indeed, he does save us from our sins. First of all, from this genealogy, we need to see that, that Jesus' lineage tells us that we don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not, church. And we don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We don't have to pretend, and man is that our heart. I got Memphis Magazine. Somehow I've been, I get a subscription to Memphis Magazine. I've never paid for it, but it comes to my house and, and I love it. I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a great magazine. And uh, this last issue, there was a glossy ad to some financial institution. I can't even remember what the financial institution was. And it was about a four-page ad and there was, I saw the picture of, of, of someone that I know and their family is well known in the city. And and that just kinda of drew me in and they gave a story on their family and uh both the, the grandfather, the father, and this was one of the sons, and they were talking about just the impact that this family has had, not just locally, not just nationally, but internationally, and and, and, and how much money they've given away through their family foundation. And I found that, you know, I'm reading this glossy, you know, story of this um, this family in Memphis that uh, that that so many people know, and I found myself feeling more and more condemned <laughs> because that article was written in such a way to make them look amazing, and I thought I'm not amazing. <laughs> There's no, you know, there's not a whole lot of gloss if you gave our family history. And yet if you look at Jesus' lineage, and that's what this is, if you look at this glossy write-up of Jesus' family, it could have been amazing. Think about Jesus' real lineage. God the Father, the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Could have been one verse. But it's all these strange names to us. Why? Why do we have the human lineage, the human genealogy of Jesus? Because Matthew clearly wanted us to know that Jesus came for sinners. He came for sinners. He knew his family lineage. He knew his genealogy. And he said, write it. Give all the specifics and break all the rules on a genealogy. There are women mentioned. their moral outcasts mentioned. their racial outcasts mentioned, which we're going to get to in just a minute. If there's any distinguishing mark to the church of Jesus Christ, it is not that the church is compassionate toward those isolated sinners in the town and they welcome them in too. But that membership demands that every single member stand before the body and make a public profession to being a sinner. It was the first vow that was taken. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner and without hope except for the sovereign mercy of God? Do you know what that's saying? What that's saying is... It's that, that we have no... There, there's even our goodness, even our pedigree, even the accomplishments that we made don't amount to anything. The Scriptures are clear about that. Even our righteousness are like filthy rags because we we stand on them. We're always looking for something to stand on that's going to make us feel significant. And yet Jesus says... It's not going to be your family lineage because all of sin falls short of the glory of God. We're a community of sinners. If the church is anything, it should be the place where we don't have to pretend or hide or lie. And yet I don't know about you, but the church is, is typically the primary place that I'm tempted to pretend and to hide, and to lie. But it's only because this is not a living reality. What the genealogy is declaring is the gospel. And the gospel says you don't have to pretend because Jesus came to sinners. Look at this list. We're just going to name several names. The first is Abraham. Father Abraham. We might have a glowing, you know, image of who Abraham was. Oh, he was godly. Well, no, he was just chosen. <laughs> because when he and his family left their house and, and, and their broader context of their family and they went to Egypt, do you remember the first thing that Abraham told Sarah, his wife? Hey, pretend that you're my sister. Lie. Here is one of the stalwarts of the faith, Father Abraham. Who looks at his wife, who is beautiful, and he begins to think, when we go into Egypt, these guys, these men are going to look at her, and they are going to want to take her. And if if I tell them that she is my, my wife, they're going to kill me to have her. So let's just kind of tell a little white lie. And that's what they do. And yet what happens? The king takes her in as his wife. Now, it it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand what's going on there. I, I mean, what privilege does a husband have in a marriage if it's not the privilege of the sexual relationship? And yet, though Abraham is committing this cowardly act, God judges the king, not Abraham. Do you hear I mean you don't have to be a preacher to preach that sermon. Uh, do you see and there's grace available for sinners. Isn't that beautiful then he got, he launches into Matthew launches into four different women. He mentions four women. That was unheard of why? Because there was nothing to gain from it. To a Jew his lineage his genealogy was his resume. And women had no respect. And so why I mention a woman, much less four in your genealogy, much less these women? Three out of the four are moral, racial, and racial outcast. Tamar. Tamar was um, a Canaanite daughter-in-law of Judah. And she couldn't have children And so what she did is she dressed up like a prostitute, a temple prostitute, went and stood outside of the temple because she knew Judah would be coming into the temple, coming by the temple, and she seduced him. She had a veil on her face. She seduced him, and she got pregnant, and she had a couple of sons, and Perez carried the family lineage on. Jesus, in Jesus' family, he is a product of incest it would have been easy to hide that. Just leave out Tamar. But Matthew wants that to be in your face and in my face. Jesus had incest in his family. What do you have in yours? Jesus does not push you away. Ah, Beautiful. And then Tamar, after Tamar comes Rahab, a Gentile prostitute. A prostitute. So you have incest, and now you have prostitution. And Jesus says, "What have you done in your life? I'm willing to claim you. I'm willing to call you my own. I'm not ashamed of you. Isn't that beautiful." And Rahab became the wife of Salmon and became the mother of Boaz. And then Ruth is mentioned, and she was Boaz's wife, and she was a Moabitess. She she is a racial outcast. And Jesus says, "Do you feel like a racial outcast? Do you feel like the world is against you?" I'm not. Isn't that beautiful. And then you have it mentions David, the father of Solomon whose mother was Uriah, or she, whose mother was Uriah's wife. Isn't that crazy? Now, the power of the pen here is pretty evident. Um, Matthew is making this case that he didn't say Bathsheba, but he mentions Bathsheba as Uriah's wife to make it clear that David is an adulterer, and that Jesus came from the lineage of an adulterer. Now why did he do that? Because yet again he was declaring, Are you an adulterer? Do you have adulterers in your midst? Or do you have adulterers in your family? Jesus doesn't push them out. Jesus is for sinners. Real sinners. It goes on. It talks about... Solomon, Solomon, no doubt, was um, a sex addict. He had hundreds of wives, quote, wives, end quote, hundreds. He was a sex addict. And Jesus says, yep, that's my family. They're with me. He mentions the deportation to Babylon he goes back to the sinful reality, that, or that the sinful um, a picture of, of Israel as a community of sinners, to the point that God had to judge them by taking them hostage into a different land. I don't know about you, but it's this time of year that I need to hear that. <laughs> it's this time of year that. I need to hear that Jesus knows me and is for me. Because as I look at my family, my my dad died a drunk this summer. As I look at my family, my brother, my, my one and only brother, took his own life on Christmas night several years ago. You know what Jesus says to a guy like me? I see it, and I'm for you. And I'm not ashamed to claim you. Isn't that beautiful? So why are you pretending? Why are you pretending? Why are you hiding? Why are you trying to protect all this junk? Why are you trying to do image management? There is freedom to be had. And His name is Jesus. He will love you. He will accept you. He will bring you in. And all you have to bring to Him is all of the ugly past and the ugly present and the pretty much ugly future. And that's all you bring to Him. And He says, come. Because look at my family. Look who I came to. They're a they're a mess. So are you. And those are the only people I come to. See, the question is not, will Jesus take you? The question is, will you open your heart and receive Him? And then secondly and finally, Jesus comes, literally comes to messed up families. As I said, my father died. This uh, I guess it was June the 20th, and one of my best friends in the world flew in from um, Colorado just to be with me, just to hang out. He uh, attended the funeral. He went with me to my dad's home in Mountain View, Arkansas. We fished um, for a day. He was just with me, and and you know that's what hurting people need, isn't it? We we don't need lectures. We we just need somebody to be with us. And that's, that was Jesus. Do you understand that 90% of his life, if he lived to 33, which, you know, maybe did, maybe didn't, somewhere in his 30s, that 90% of his life was spent in something other than ministry. He was just here. He was just present. He was a son. He was a brother. He was a cousin. He was an employer, he was an employee, he was a neighbor, he was in the community, he was just a a boy on the street. He was just present for 30-something years, 90% of his time on this earth, he was completely unknown except for those who knew him, and there weren't that many, just a small community. And yet, can you only imagine how many people were healed by a boy who was as kind ...and good and attentive, who was such an incredible listener, and yet was full of truth, who did not judge those around him them in their sin, but who was willing to be counted among sinners. Can you imagine the people that were healed simply by his kindness? I love that the Bible tells us the characters that were around when he was crucified. You know who was there? It was his mother, his mother's sister... The other Mary, and then Mary Magdalene. It was his family. It was the people that knew him when he was nobody. That's who was with him. Rachel and I went to a um, family reunion yesterday, her mother's side of the family in Little Rock, Arkansas. And you know, I mean, family reunions are family reunions. It, what I love about family reunions is everybody has a backstory, and you know everybody's backstory. And yet, everybody still loves each other. Now, think about the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to make us servants. He came to free us that we might be children, sons and daughters of God, and brothers and sisters of one another. Do you know what the church is to be? The church is to be a place where we don't give up on each other because Jesus hasn't given up on us. That's that's the simplicity of, of what a church is. It's not that we push away. We don't ever push away. We are drawing near to one another when we're hurting. Why? Because that's precisely what Jesus has done for us. His entire life was a presence of being. Even His ministry was not that exciting. All He did was walk around with 12 guys and eating and drinking a lot. And doing some lessons, drawing in the sand, and raising a widow's son. Healing lepers, and then telling his disciples not to tell anybody. He was just there. He was just present. And that's what Jesus is for us today. That's what we mean by a living relationship with Jesus. You see... To see Jesus as one who pushes us away when we sin is to miss the entire thrust of the Christian life. It's to leave the power of the Christian life on the table. Sin has a trajectory, and it's always toward isolation. What do you mean? Let me, let me explain that. Here's the pattern of sin. I sin, I feel bad, shame starts coming in, here's Jesus, and I take a step back. And I feel like i've got to do something in order to take a step forward again, and so I take a break and, and and i i push away from the word and i i push away from prayer and okay god i i'm just i just feel too i just feel too yucky to be with you right now and so temptation presents its ugly face again and I have no power, and so I fall again i do i commit the exact same sin, and then I'm even a step. And then I stopped coming to church, and then I, do you see it? It's isolation. That's what the devil wants you to do. The devil wants you to think that Jesus takes a step back from sinners. And what the Bible says, beginning with the genealogy, actually beginning in Genesis, but (laughs) let's just leave it here, and and, and the Gospel of Matthew, is that Jesus takes a step forward towards you in your sin. Jesus comes to you in your sin. Jesus says, I'm the friend that, that is so, in, you're not gonna get rid of me. And I'm not here to bring guilt and shame. I'm here to draw you in and put my arms around you because all healing takes place in the context of love. No one in the history of the world has ever been healed by guilt and shame. Nobody. And it's not gonna work in your life either. And so Jesus comes and he says, look, I mean, If I came to this jacked up, messed up, screwed up family that I just read, do you think I'm going to reject you? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me with your mess. That's what the birth of Jesus proclaims. So what's holding you back from coming to Jesus? You know, I... I, And we'll end with this. I I also love that Jesus rejected all the stuff that we pine for, work for, to try to feel significant about ourselves. Jesus left on the table. Isaiah 53 states it best. For he grew up before him like a young plant. How would you like somebody to... Compare you to, as a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Love it. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. When he enters the room, you kind of want to kind of look the other way. And no beauty that we should desire him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected. He wasn't in. He couldn't get you tickets to the Grizzly game. (laughs) He he couldn't take you he was despised and rejected. He couldn't get you he couldn't get you a good deal in a car. He couldn't get you into that, that program or that school. He couldn't he couldn't do anything for you outwardly. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he wouldn't be in People magazine. You wouldn't even want to be friends with him on Facebook. <laughs> we we would hide our face for he was despised and we esteemed him not. How do you come into this world as God and not do it with the flash? It's because his identity, I think we saw the root of his identity at his baptism. Because when he was baptized by John, the heavens opened up and a voice said, This is my son whom I love. Guess what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Dear friends, the hardest thing to believe is God's love. The hardest thing to receive is that God could love me. And yet that is the message of Christmas. Jesus embodied God that you and I might know today that his love is available. So have you let him in. And I mean that to Christian and non christian Christian, how do you need to let him in today? What, what part of your heart have you just locked? Say, uh-uh. I'll come to church. I'll do, you know, I'll go to community group. I'll sign up to help with the move, but uh-uh. You're not dealing. Uh-uh. That's too much. You know what Jesus is saying this morning? I already know it. Why are you pushing me away? You're just pushing away healing. You're just pushing away life. You're just continuing in your death. Let me have it. Bring it to me so you can know the freedom of my love. Have you ever heard a a gospel call to Christians to open their hearts to Jesus? That's what we need every single minute of every single day. And if you're here today and you've never opened your heart to Him, is this the gospel that you're rejecting? Is this it? Notice, all you must do is is embrace the reality that Jesus came for you. Enter relationship with Him. Receive Him as your King who has accomplished your salvation. And then lovingly start dealing with the stuff in your life because it will never end on into glory. How do you need to let Jesus into your life this morning? What do you need to give over to Him? May we reflect on that right now. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank You that You came for sinners. Thank You that You came for the likes of us. And I pray that You would open each heart in this room, that You would do business. Holy Spirit, don't let us rest until we have opened our hearts to the King and we have experienced His love. Lord Jesus, do You work in our midst this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll receive now our pledge cards and our gifts as we contemplate on exactly how we need to open our hearts and what we need to give to our King this morning. Amen.